Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of DBP called Secret Identities. We are going to be popping open, oh my God. Cracking. Cracking open a bottle of the 2017 Secret Identity by Iconic Wine. It's a rosé. And they won't tell us the blend. Nope, they won't. It's It's so secretive. It's so secretive. I really kind of wish that they would, though. The back of the label says, every hero needs a day off. That's true. I need a day off. I'm a hero. With a bottle of wine. Yep. Get that sucker open. Yeah. So the label is this, like... It's so cool. Fun-looking, like, kind of comic girl. Like, she looks like she's a superhero, but she's dressed as, like, a work lady. It's like your typical Clark Kent mm-hmm. Superman situation. Thank you. That's yeah. Was... Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the glasses and everything. The glasses are off. on the top of the uh, <gasps> of of the. I didn't notice that the cork, not the cork, but the the cap, the cap. Thank you. Here, <laughs> wow, I, I'm losing my words today. Um, That's me. Anyways, it's a 12 percent ABV. It's made by Iconic Wines in Napa, and I'm gonna open it. All right, you open it. So. Um, what se- oh, that was very quick. Yeah, I'm <laughs> somewhat anticlimactic, but I'm thinking that. Oh my gosh, that's really pretty. It is really pretty. I actually wonder what. Do you want to speculate about grapes? Ooh, maybe after we taste and smell. Yeah, let's do that. It's super light. It's like almost peachy, paley, pink. Cheers. It's kind of like a salmon, but stra- it has like a strawberry tint. It has a strawberry scent. Oh yeah, like. You, like for sure it smells like you know what it smells like you like went to a strawberry field picked a bunch of strawberries and drank a bunch of and then drank some water yeah and that's like, exactly that's exactly it like mm-hmm. strawberry infused water but like yeah almost like have you ever had mojitos that have like the mashed up fruit in it mm-hmm. this is like that's what i like feel like i have like mashed up strawberry Do you get without. a hint of pineapple just a slight hint you poured me a big glass it's hard to swirl girl sorry i poured myself a big glass it's rosé, rosé It does have more tropically, a little uh, little brighter on the nose after a good swirl. I'm going to try it. Okay. You know what? What? It's actually a pretty smooth, like for as bright as the fla- the scent, the you aromas actually, are. Actually, you know what it is? It's grapefruit that I think I get. Do you? Like a sweet, ruby red grapefruit. But taste it. There's like, I'd say medium acidity. Oh, yeah. I feel like you definitely have sort of that smooth strawberry feel. Maybe even like, I don't want to say watermelon is in there, but it's almost like you have like that refresh, refreshing character of a watermelon. It's lighter know. body than I would expect, to be honest. I don't know. I was actually, I felt like this was going to be a pretty light one to me. It's not pretty like, good. Not like the other like really dark ones that we've um, had. But this is this. I'd say that this is this is a decent rosé, yeah. and it's actually Secret Identity was made to be Iconic Wines' ideal summer rosé. They describe it as crisp and refreshing, screw top, which is obviously an asset when yep. you're out and about. Of course, and don't because have if to you want to be around. on a boat or like hanging out in a picnic or whatever, then 
Easy closure, yeah. easy open. You don't need any extra paraphernalia. Yeah. Like, you got it. Exactly. Um, and as Sarah said, it's only 12% ABV. So it's, I mean, I actually, that's doesn't surprise me um, at all with this Sip one. away. Sip away. Sip away. Well, I mean, this is a good wine to kind of close out our summer. Oh. I'm so sad. That's depressing. Hopefully there are still some warm days left, but we'll survive. I still have like five rosés that I need to be drinking, so we'll need to make an excuse, but... Oh, I am sure we'll find one, lady. You know, I feel like there's even a hint of like lemon rind. There's like a little hint of like a slight bitter aroma, but it's not... It's got citrus, and I get some minerality, honestly, from it, like... Like ocean. I I could pick that up. I can yeah. definitely pick that up. Yeah, that's it's it's very easy drinking. It's very smooth. It is, and now it's almost like it's just like melted, like like a melted. Um, what's that? Oh my god, what's that thing that you Popsicle? get? Popsicle? No. Icy. Icy. No. Pop? Closer. Snow cone. Snow oh. cone. But not with like a ton of the juice left over. Just like very melted. Oh, it's. This is good. This is very good. So we found this at a rosé wine tasting. Yeah. We were drinking a ton of rosés, and this was one of the ones that stood out. For sure, because I think that a lot of... You actually pointed on, I think, some of the things that I think that you and I both find challenging when it comes to rosés is that it's like a little too tart, a little too... A little too flimsy, if you will. Yep. But this has has a little bit more substantial... um, body to it and I think flavor and it's just an overall a smoother rosé. It, it is really smooth. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Cause I forgot that that's where we picked this one up and it's only what, like eight, 17, I think I we think paid like 17, 17 or $18. I think we got a little bit of a discount because of the festivities, but yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And I think, so the other thing that they put on their website at Iconic Wines is that the name Secret Identity comes from the desire to make the best dry rosé for the buck we could do while not being trapped by tradition. Rather than showcasing a single region or grape, the focus on our ideal light, aromatic, fresh, and readily drinkable. This year is a blend of four grapes across Lodi, which I know that we've had wines from before, um, and the Sierra Foothills. But again, they don't go on to tell us what those grapes are because it's a secret. <laughs> Um, it's good. It's uh, I I am I do get like a grapefruit strawberry in my glass. They also their nose says raspberries, but I don't really pick that up. I'm I'm not feeling it. Sorry, I'm so busy drinking. That's fine. Uh, you can do. Ooh, even the palate they say macerated raspberries. I don't know. I am not digging it. I mean, I'm not a raspberry person. I know you're not a raspberry fan. So Jamie has a huge aversion to raspberries. People like hardcore. Like, ugh, uh, no. I don't get it because I love them, but my husband just pops them like frozen. Yeah, like, me in too. His mouth. I actually oh, my took God. a whole thing of raspberries to work today. Oh God. Okay. I can't hang out with you <laughs> when you do that. <laughs> I'm glad you got that out of your way, out of the way before I came over. So yeah, so this is a good wine. Um, Iconic wines uh, is actually kind of unique, and I feel like you know, obviously we talk about labels and the designs on them, and you know, illustrations and things like that. I do think that there are a fair number um, that I've seen that seem to be a little bit more in that comic strip vein. Comic strip vein. And so, you know, this one, the two owners are um, former college roommates 
college friends, college roommates, something like that. They met in college, regardless, and uh, decided to get nerdy together and decided to make wine together. They and, have awesome names. Oh, yeah. Burke. Burke O'Halloran and Carl Ante. And it's, I'm so curious where they're from because they have unique spellings to their names. So, uh, yeah, it's really kind of, it's interesting. Isn't that an Irish name? O'Halloran. O'Halloran, I would think. But I don't know about the other dude. Carl with a K seems like German to me. Is that weird? Burke. With an I. K. Burke. B-I-R-A-K. B-I-R-A-K. Yeah. Wait, B-I-R-K. Yeah. I'm adding letters. But I, I'm used to seeing it as B-U-R-K-E. So I don't know. Very interesting. What's their motto? Uh, Nenos gigantium humeris incidentes. Oh. Can you translate, please, Sarah? Um, sure. Just don't make me... Uh, I'll pronounce that. Do you, I mean, was that... That was good. I think that was butchered. That, no, that was good. <laughs> so it means standing on the shoulders of giants hmm. um, in Latin, obviously. Uh, and it expresses the meaning of discovering truth by building on previous discoveries. So I think that maybe that, maybe that sort of is indicative and like a metaphor for what they've done because I feel like... They met in college. They had, you know, certain um, things in common, you know, the love for comic books and being nerdy and, you know, things whiskey, like that. And whiskey, I thought I saw that too. Yeah. Um, and bitty, or witty banter or something like that. But, you know, from that, they then cultivated this, for however it happened, this, you know, love of wine. And I think that they were able to build on sort of what they initially maybe drew from each other, yeah. uh, those connections, and really built something to become essentially iconic in their lives and, you know, hopefully in the shelves of stores. So, um, yeah, I think that's... They said they get to work nice. with their heroes every day doing Aww. what they love. So it only made sense to put the heroes of their youth that inspire them to dream big on the bottles of their dream job. Hold... Wait, what? Say it again. <laughs> their, their heroes of their youth... Yeah, so like they're comic book heroes. Do you think that this is like a real comic book hero? I don't know. I wasn't really into comic books. I wasn't, well, I'm, I wasn't and I'm not. But that's so interesting. Oh my God. So now I want any comic book lovers to let us know if this is like a legit comic book character. Yeah. So their website says it's 10% ABV, but our bottle's 12. It's 12. Yeah. Maybe that was another vintage. I don't know. Actually, it says 2017. I don't know. But it says around 10, 10 so they're, they're rounding down. They should I mean, own. that's a kind of a big round down. I agree. They say it's low alcohol, but I would argue that 12% is like a medium, medium. alcohol. That's yep. not a low... Low alcohol content is like 7 to seven to 9.5, I'd say. They suggest drinking this with kebabs off the grill. Oh, that sounds so good. And I also think this would be good with seafood. Sure. Um, like a like a light. Yeah, I don't like, want to say like a white fish. I just don't no, know like that you want. Mm, no? I'm not sure. I don't know you that know I would so? want that. Mm-mm. Okay. That's just me though. Uh, they, so they say you can drink it on the beach, back porch, or yeah. outdoor space. So that's what we were talking about with yeah. the with the screw cap. We could hit that up. So, so. secret identities. Mm-hmm. CIA. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I, I want to say one more thing. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think we've drank wine from the Lodi and the Sierra Foothills of Napa. Not Sierra before. Foothills. We've had Lodi before. Have we? Fuck. It was something early on. Uh, I'm sorry. This is so, smells so, so good. <laughs> you know what was Lodi? was Petit Petit. Ah, see? Memory. I remember something. Okay. Whew. All right, anyway, secret identity. I wish I was a spy. There are parts of me that, like, thinks, like, that would be real fucking cool. Like, you know, the whole, like, Superman, like, secret identity, like, undercover. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, that was a, that was a really good movie, actually. Although I wouldn't want to, like, try, like, dry, like killing my husband thing. Oh, no, no. No. No, I wouldn't want to but do that. But they were pretty badass. They really were. And that was, in fact, the movie that broke up mm-hmm. Jen and Brad. Mm-hmm. Look how that's turned out. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, Indeed. moving on. No, I think that being a, a, you know, an operative sounds cool. Like, undercover sounds really, really cool. You don't think it is cool? Uh, I think it would actually be way more stressful. Oh, I just drink through a lot of this really, really <laughs> fast. I, uh, I think that it would be very stressful and very challenging because there's a lot more that goes into it. Like, yeah, I mean, me, I feel like, well, we have a podcast. So it's like we're opening people up to our own lives and our perceptions of things. But you could not do that if you were... Like, truly, you couldn't do that if you were Well, I think cover, more right? so, like, you wouldn't be able to, like, have a family life. It'd be really hard to. Uh, they do? I think it'd be fun to do it, like, as a single person. But... If you don't like people... <laughs> I mean, I just think, like, you would have... It'd be very scary because, you know, and as we'll talk about later, but when you are undercover, if your cover is blown, there's so much more at stake. You have your family. Now, whether that's you choose to have a family or it's your other relatives or your closest friends, there are lots of different oh, yeah. connections Layers. that can be used against you. And I, I would personally find that, I don't find that particularly attractive. No, but let's say you took that out of the equation. It would be pretty cool. If you're like it would James, be pretty fucking cool. James Bond style. Like, I want to be, like, trained to be, yeah. like, a kick-ass like, or, you're, like, badass. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're, like... Kicking people's ass, and you're like... Like that movie Kick Ass. Yeah, getting gadgets, <laughs> and you're like, yeah. like, I mean, driving cool cars and you mean like Bond style. You mean like all the shit that was in, like, um, did you ever watch Dragnet when you were younger? No. And James Bond? Like, half of the James shit Bond, yeah. that's like in those movies and in those shows are like actually like, they've come to fruition. I'm sure cell phone watch or cell phone watches. Yeah, My but I'm sure there's that. technology the CIA has that we can't even imagine. fathom. I know. Yeah, I know. No. Yeah, it's it's pretty. There's. Amazing. I mean, they could be listening to us right. They could be in this room right now. We wouldn't even know. I mean, I think that we might know if they're in this room. No, I mean like they could have ears in this room. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, you mean like listening through like our devices and or things? or like chipped. There could be a chip. I don't know. You think the woman that you bought the house from is is bugged and wired? 90 years old? <laughs> <laughs> she's the, she's she's the, most, the undercover. most undercover. <laughs> I mean. Oh, my God. Okay, so, so let's talk about the CIAs. It's like, that's like, 
the secret identity, you know, CIA, FBI, all that good agency shit. of yeah. the United States. So Central S- Intelligence Agency, so CIA, they're supposed to protect us and find all things out that could be used against the United States of America, and then find things out against other, other countries, entities, yeah, that could be used against them, right? So there are. Uh, they say that only about 10% of the agencies of the CIA's employees are actually clandestine or secret uh, officers involved in operations, which is the traditional spy stuff, including recruiting sources, executing covert missions, and gathering intelligence. The rest are like analysts, managers, scientists, and other things like that. People that sit on the computer and type away and find out information. Is that what that could is? actually be kind of a fun job. But that's the rest? Yeah. So there are different levels of protective cover, just like there are different levels of like actual like clearance, right? Okay. So like, you know, how some people are like, oh, I do this and this and this. Other people are like, uh, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Like those I want to like, be one of those people. I, I know you do. I think that you'd be really good at that job. I don't know about that, but. <laughs> so tell us about the different levels. I think there are like three main levels. Is that right? Yeah. Well, first we should say. The CIA was created in 1947. Shit. I kind of thought it would be... Earlier. Earlier, right? That was like at the after World War II. It was the signing of the National Security Act by President Harry Truman. Huh. Yep. And Wow, I am actually surprised by that. Me too. Um, they have several responsibilities. You want to hear them? Yeah. They collect intelligence through human sources and other appropriate means. Like, what does that appropriate means? I don't know. What? I mean, I'm assuming that they also collect intelligence through inappropriate means. Sure. They (laughs) correlate and evaluate intelligence related to the national security and providing appropriate dissemination of such intelligence. They provide overall direction for and coordination of the collection of national intelligence outside the U.S. through human sources by elements of the intelligence. I feel like there's a lot of just, like, the same words being said, and I don't really know if they're actually saying This sounds like a legal agreement. Yeah. You know, where it's, like, very cyclical, and it's just, like, the lessee and the lessor and the lessee and the parties and the lessor. Anyway, I'm over that. Let's just talk about... That is... That is... Yeah. That's... Okay. Weird legal jargon intended to confuse people, but to be like, what the fuck? Okay, these people do something really important, and there's no way I could possibly understand it, so I just won't. Do we? I don't think anyone really knows. Unless you work for them. Yeah. So, okay, different levels of protective cover. Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. So there's no cover, like, you tell people you work for the CAA. So it's upper management, college recruiters, um, congressional liaisons. Uh, and these people are, they have, they might have, they're publicly acknowledged CIA employees. So you uh-huh. just basically say, I work for the CIA. So a lot of the analysts and scientists are the no, no cover. cover ones. Mm-hmm. Really? Family, friends might know who they work for. Um, okay. They could, they could have light cover. So they could, it could be that your family and friends know who you work for, but publicly you might just know that they work for your government, but not really like what. Sure. Um, so, one intelligence officer described this as, quote-unquote, the cover you use if your airplane gets hijacked. It's safe enough to use on a quick visit overseas, 
say to meet with intelligence counterparts in a friendly country, but insufficient for spies stationed abroad. Wait, so that means that, like, they they just say that they... Hmm. They just say that they work for the government? Yeah. They can say they work... Like, they can be like, I work for the government, but not really what agency of the government that they work for. I feel for. like they would have to say that they work for something that's like, I work for, like, the post office. That's a government job, but it's one that would have no intelligence, I would I mean, you could work for Medicare... That's and true. that's a government job. I that's mean, there's true. so many things you could do. You're right. That could be a government job that is not the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's no cover. Yeah. Or light cover, Yep. We'll say. Uh, and then there's official cover. So most CIA employees that are overseas are official cover. You could work in the U.S. Embassy, and that could give them diplomatic immunity. Um, they have varying degrees of secrecy. So, like, the CIA station chief is a major alienation. Uh, he may be well-known on the diplomatic circuit, but his subordinates who actually recruit the informants may not be. So, they probably tell their immediate family, but otherwise they can't really tell anybody else what their job is. Um, and although some of these people that work in these... Allied nations they go to are declared officers, which means the CIA informs their host government they are spies. So basically, like, if you're going to another country, yeah, like, let's say you're in Germany, the CIA tells German officials that you're, that they're spies, basically. That you work for the CIA. And so this is, this is interesting because, so then if those particular officers with official cover are caught they have that diplomatic protection protection yeah. uh-huh so they essentially have immunity mm-hmm. but are you still then are you still then like a covert operation should you be somewhat oh yeah you still have to be careful just like basically if something happens like the uh-huh. worst that could happen is you get sent home like that government knows you're there you're not oh, gonna okay. get in trouble with that government like but don't you think that that would have an impact, like, when you come home? Like, Why? if you come back no to the No one knows States, what you've done. No one knows who you are. Don't you think that there are leaks from other governments? No. What? Mm-mm. You don't think so? I think there are. You mean... Like, if somebody, if somebody who was, like hanging around and somehow got wind because goodness knows like there are loose lipped people and loose lips sink ships. Right. And I think that we're going to get to this in a little bit, but I feel like there is always the possibility that even though you had a cover, like while you were overseas, while you would expect it to still be, you know, effective, like when you came back home, it could still be blown. I think that there is still an option because I mean, if your cover's blown overseas, like, I'm curious if, like, our own government would have something to say or do about it. I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be, like, driving down the road screaming who you are. No, no, no. I don't think that. Because you came home. Right. I'm sure they have ways. Like, oh, he was on... He was in uh, Iceland to (laughs) study uh, or... Or he was in Alaska to study penguins. Your favorite. I fucking hate them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, there's people that like live in Alaska and like study the environment there and stuff like that. 
You could totally. You could like, totally do that. You could totally do that. That's a good cover. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure they have lots of covers. Okay. Finally. Then, then there's the Knox. The Knox. Non-official cover. This is where we're going to get, yeah. This is where we're going to talk about that uh, interesting um, case that yeah. happens. Something very recent. Yep. Okay. Well, it didn't happen so recently, what, well, but there was a development that happened recently. Right, right, right. So, Knox are the most covert CIA operatives. They typically work abroad, so they're not here. Okay. Um, and they don't have diplomatic protection. How messed up is that? That's pretty crazy. So, so what do they do? Like, what do they, they how pretend, do they operate? So they pretend to work for, like, a commercial enterprise. Mm-hmm. But if so they you got to have other talents. Yeah. So you, like, basically have to be in some other industry that you're working in. And, okay. like, probably be pretty proficient at it. Uh, absolutely. In, in order it, to right? get in there and to come from abroad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they're caught, there's no guarantee uh, that the U.S. would actually admit who they are. Why would you do this? Wait, so that's saying that, like, if you're caught, if they catch you because they think that you are, they speculate that you're a CIA operative, the government could be like, we don't know who the fuck that person is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which, when you think about it, that's actually kind of cool that the, gov- that the government wouldn't be like, yep, he's one of ours. You know, just to say that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that... Yeah, I feel it. Why would you do that? Because you put so much more at stake. Because if you don't have that um, immunity, that diplomatic immunity, like, everybody finds out fucking everything. Yeah, so I mean... And I thought I read... I could be wrong. I thought I read that there were... And I'm thinking that this maybe applies more so to those official cover ones. That... Governments will do historically have actually done trades. So, like, let's say we found out that we had that there were Russian spies here. Uh-huh. Okay. And let's say the Russians found out that there were American spies there. Okay. They could effectively and historically, they used to just create like a all right, cool, like you give us our guys, we give you your guys, and that's it. It's a done deal. It would have to be some pretty good timing. It it would, but I also feel that there was something over the last like maybe five or six years where that happened. And it was like people like got let go on account of this like immunity, if you will. And it was just sort of like, okay, so everybody gets like a slap on the wrist and we acknowledge that we all had spies on each other. And we're just going to call it even. Yeah. It's a tough case because then you're like, is there not like retribution like anywhere else, like down the road? I would almost think that there would be some I feel like the Russians would just be like, yeah, we're done with you. Execution. Go. Uh, That very well could be. I mean, maybe not execution, but maybe death by vodka. I don't know. Death by vodka. The shitty kind. (laughs) Uh, Pop off. Death by wine. I'll take it. Um, um, so anyway, <laughs> so, uh, Knox basically operate without any links to the U S government. Unlike, you know, your military officials, your em- embassy, mm-hmm. like, there's other CIA officers that are stationed there. 
they like state department employees. Like they basically kind of, yeah, they just work. You're just on your own. So, um, they can approach people who would otherwise not come in contact with the government of the United States of America. Oh, uh, so like they can be like involved in terrorists, drug trafficking, arms dealer networks, like all sorts of things without oh. raising any suspicion because they don't have like, you Girl. just have no idea. Okay. I'm sorry. And I know we're not, we're not going to really focus on this, but I feel like that is the exact thing. Why the government engages celebrities in covert operations what because they about? have, there are historically, if you look at like, even like world war two, like there were a bunch of different, um, celebrities that they act, the government actually like hired on as spies to get information because they had like these high roller, like, um, circles that they could like get around in and have conversations with because you have examples of such. Yeah, things? sure. So like, um, Frank Sinatra was one. Why? Wait, so listen to this. So this is, so I read this. So Frank Sinatra, though many feel like he was part, like had like ties to the mob. Yeah. Um, they all, he also supposedly has, was working for the government in order to bring back or to transport like on his private jet, um, important, important people. Like for like operatives and things like that, you know, either to safety or to bring them to different um, places. Oh, and so the that's government so then cool. it's so fucking weird. And then you know Julia Child, yeah, right. So she used to work for the government. She what? was actually yes. Did you not watch Me and Julia or whatever that movie was with Amy Adams? Like I don't know. Like is that like ten years ago? I don't know. I thought I watched some Julia movie. Yeah. Uh, it was like, so she actually worked for the government and I believe that she started out as a secretary, but then she ended up working as like, I think she used to translate like posters and shit like that. And she was actually like a little bit more involved in sort of like more covert operations than people let on. Okay. Um, there were other ones. Um, I, God, I was just talking about this with my dad, but there was one actress, and we, honest to God, I'm sure that I could look it up again, but she was actually part of, she created like some code that was used to like help like win a war. It's kind of interesting how the celebrities, you know, they, they're able to make these ins and move a little bit smoother throughout these circles. Okay. Um, Josephine Baker, I guess she was a, um, a singer and an actress who was used in World War II to actually set, have discreet messages written in invisible ink on her music sheets when she was traveling and, like, helped save, like... Did the ink glow in the dark? I have no clue how invisible ink worked back then. Huh. It would be fun to see I that. Kind of Can you imagine that. how scary that would be, though? You gotta put a lot on the line. Like, your life is on the line. And your reputation. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing... To hear about these stories, I think. And so, yeah. So anyway, so what you said about like the terrorists, drug trafficking, yeah. arms dealers, things like that. I, you know. Do you think there's current celebrities, celebrities who are doing this? I don't. Maybe Brad Pitt's a CIA officer. I don't know. He's kind of off the map right now. That's what I'm saying. Although he was just in Deadpool too. Shh. I, I saw for like a 
For like less than. It was like a half a second. Right. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about this. um, Well, hold on. Okay. I just want to, I want to, I do want to say about the knock. Yeah. Thing. Don't knock the knocks. Don't knock. Well, I feel like they're pretty isolated, right? So Mm -hmm. um, there was one knock who made a quote. As a knock officer, you are truly alone. The sense of isolation and loneliness is difficult to describe to those who have never experienced it. And if they're exposed, they can be executed. I. It sounds terrifying. Doesn't that make you appreciate the fact that people are actually willing to do that I was going to say, who is willing to do that? I mean, like, being a spy sounds really cool. Being a spy and, like, not having your country back you if you get caught... You have to be pretty confident of your abilities and the fact that what you can bring to the table is actually way far more worthy than potentially losing your life or in everything or life. Or you're just willing that that's an option. I mean, true. True, true, true. That that could happen. Yeah. I just want to say before we get into the CAA and the Knox and our... uh, our, Why do these rosés go down so so quickly? quickly? I don't know. Okay. When I was reading about all the different techniques oh. of, like, spies and the FBI and Are you going to give it... Is this, like, a kung fu girl, like, okay. techniques and shit? Spies can break in your home. It's called covert breaking and entering. Right? Legally? Yeah. Well, they can, they can come into your home, search it, and leave without a trace. You would never know they were there. Okay. They would have, they're called sneaks and peaks. That sounds so dirty. Yep. Jimmy Carter. (laughs) It does. It sounds super dirty. So dirty. Yeah. Snakes and peaks. Like fucking peeping Tom. Peeping Tom. Is that a glory hole? Okay. Jimmy (laughs) Carter signs the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act in 1978 and set up a system for American spies to legally search and bug homes of people spying on the other side. So this means they can photograph the entire home first and then use these later to make sure nothing you move was moved out of place. They use fake dust to what? avoid trails of movement. Yeah. Fake dust. How do you yeah. how do you how do you release fake dust so that it doesn't no look like it's like I have no planted? Idea. I have no idea. You know it's so, like whenever you put like like decorate shit, you're like, does this look like an arbitrary leaf falling like for like my fall decorations? And you're like no, this looks too corny. Isn't that crazy that someone could enter your home and you would have no idea that somebody was there? Dude, don't tell me because sometimes... What? Wait. Okay. Anyway, I have my own paranoias, but whatever. So actually in 1982, <laughs> the FBI used this and they bugged the phones <laughs> of a couple members of the Irish Republican Army who were then were suspected of smuggling guns, explosives, and air missiles to the Irish Republican Army in Northern Ireland. No shit. This led to the arrest of these people. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. U.S. operatives can do that. Or this yeah. is just like government across governments. Oh, U.S. government can do okay. this. Okay. There's also something called crypt- cryptography. Cryptography. So th- wait, what? Ki- cryptography. Cryptography? Cri- thank you. Cryptography. So basically, they spies invent their own language. They can encrypt or decipher messages in secret code. <gasps> Only intend for certain people to understand. <gasps> this the is Nazis like, did this. Mm-hmm. It's like Pig Latin. Yeah. I never knew how to do that. Yeah. Wow. And now, since it's digital, there's like keys 
that can be sent to someone with an identical key to decode it. I don't understand any of this. But basically, like... <laughs> you I and me both, girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how they can, like, have, like, communication with, like, only... Well, I, I mean, you figure, like, there are always codes, right? Because yeah. you don't want whatever you're um, projecting, whatever you're... Oh God, what's the word? Whatever you're putting out there, you don't want to be, like, easily identifiable. Yep. So I can't imagine the number of codes that are actually used... I have no idea. Um, ...across the world. Anyways, that those are just crazy. some tactics. Did you ever... Okay, did you ever go to Safe House in Milwaukee? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, for those listeners, and I'm saying this also because it's pertinent because there's a place in Chicago, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's apparently a secret. It's it's secret. Uh, There is a place called the Safe House Spy Bar something. Yep. And it's in an alleyway in Milwaukee. And in order to get in, you have to, they ask you, what's the code? What's the code word? And you have to give them the code word. And I'm not yeah. going to tell you what it is. No. And so if you don't know it, they you make you. ridiculed. They make you do things. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm not even going to say it. They make you do things in order to get in. So it could be like doing like the chicken dance. I had a hula hoop. I think my husband had like chicken dance or something. I was just going to say the chicken dance and you took that out of my. I'm so sorry. Did you have to chicken dance to get in there one time? No, thankfully, um, I had people like my husband to tell me the secret password. Oh, your your husband's much nicer than mine because he told me what it, he told me the quote unquote password, and it was not the password. It was not the password because he specifically wanted me to have the sort of one. a, uh, you know, the ritual hazing, if you will, like a proper introduction to this bar. There's a lot of secret passageways in that bar. I have very, I was there one time yeah. and I barely explored it. But the cool thing about it is that it actually has like real, um, like paraphernalia and a bunch of different stories and things like that. And talks a little bit about like, obviously James Bond, cause he's, you know, a notorious spy in the movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But it talks about how it's, it was actually applied like in real life. And yep. it's, it's very, very cool. I'm sure you could spend a ton of time. I there. exited through a phone booth there. What? Yeah. I have to go back. Mm-hmm. I have to go back. Um, but there is a place in Chicago that is supposedly the classier version of our low-key. Everything in Chicago is classier. And comfortable uh, Milwaukee version. But I think it opened a couple of years ago, and it's in River North at okay. the JW Marriott, for those who are interested. All right. Um, so I feel like I need to spend a little bit of time there to brush up on my spy skills. That's but let's, terrifying. Let's talk about our friend Val. Yeah, so um, Valerie Plame uh, was a knock, and there was a huge scandal surrounding her called Plamegate. Um, oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Watergate, Plamegate. <laughs> I feel like there's another gate. There's another gate. There's okay. another gate. So there's the Plame Affair, uh, the CIA oh. leak scandal. There's all these different names for okay. what happened with her. Uh, so she was a knock that got outed by the uh, a journalist in the Washington Post. Damn. Yeah, two thousand three, and that was it was like a huge deal because like you can't out a CIA. Don't you think that there would have been retribution to like that journalist 
Okay, right. maybe I'm getting so it is myself. against the law to do that. Yeah, I don't think it was the journalist's fault. Hey. Uh, okay, I don't know. He wasn't the one that was accused. Okay, so, so what precisely happened? So she was stationed abroad. Exactly, I don't know where. Okay. Um, I know she had been in Brussels before. They said Athens, and she was involved in several projects like. Um, she met with workers in nuclear industry, and she managed other spies. She ensured that Iran did not acquire nuclear weapons. Uh-huh. So she was, like, big into a lot of foreign affairs in that okay. sense. Okay. Very involved. Yeah. In the know. So part of her work was also um, determining the use of aluminum tubes purchased by Iraq, because apparently that has something to do with nuclear weapons. Okay. Don't know exactly the connection there, but I guess aluminum tubes, nuclear weapons, I guess there's a connection. All right, great. Um, so, anyways, basically in, on July 14th, 2003, Robert Novak, journalist for the Washington Post, used information obtained from Richard Armitage of the United States Department of State. And he ended her career with the CIA because she resigned actually in December 2005. Oh, really? Um, He revealed in her column that she was a CIA operative. Uh, And this was actually published in... So basically there was then an investigation. um, And it did establish that she was employed by the CIA when the column was published in July of 2003. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. Why would he do that? So I guess the story goes oh. that what pr- what maybe prompted or instigated this reaction from the Washington Post was um, so Valerie Plame's husband was okay. up f- to be sent to Niger. Niger. I'm not sure how to pronounce the country. Don't kill me. Again, we know geography is not my forte. Okay, <laughs> so. He was up to go there because there was a rumor that um, Saddam Hussein was going to be purchasing uranium from Africa. And or before that statement was made by President Bush, there was he was going to be sent in order to figure out where they were planning to purchase uranium okay. from. So then it came about that President Bush said that um, the purchase was from Africa. Okay. And um, Valerie's husband, Joseph Wilson, actually wrote a series of op-eds that really questioned the veracity of that statement. Okay. And, and so... Know, what? As we know, that actually came to fruition later. Yeah. So... So he was correct. Probably. Sure. And but, yeah, but it's... So it was almost... It was because Valerie's husband actually... There's also an argument um, whether or not Valerie was the one who was supporting her husband being sent there. And so, you know, her recommendation was such that she thought that he could be useful, but also thought that he wasn't necessarily... She conveyed some sort of hesitation in a memo to the government. Ah, but the government sent that? Yeah. Well, so that... But the government actually sent him anyway. Okay. In light of that. Or in spite of that. And so um, this is the the act of the journalist Novak divulging Valerie's um, identity 
was somewhat of a political retribution for, okay. you know, sort of this this whole series of events that happened. And that is kind of what they're... So basically you're saying that her husband questioned why he was going... Well, basically called the government a lot. Like, they basically said the president they was called, They called the government into question. He did, yeah. And then this happened. And then this happened. Okay. And so they're trying to sort of link these things together in saying that, uh, you know... It, there wasn't a lot of certainty about it. And he's like, I just don't believe that it's true. And because Valerie had the most to uh, lose, I guess the government, Arm- was it Armitage? Richard Armitage? Yeah. That gave the her name to this journalist who then published it. So. Bullshit, right? How does this Libby guy come into play? Isn't he the one that gets like. So, yeah, this is where I'm not quite certain because I per- I personally think that, I, I mean, again, I said it a few minutes ago, I think that the actual publication is at stake here for, for putting that out. But if That's they the were given information of- from the government to publish said... But, okay, but so you know then don't you... So, don't you think then Armitage would be the one that would be held accountable if Armitage was the noted source for that information? True. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So th- this this Libby guy is the one who has gotten kind of the whole like... So Libby was the White House Deputy Chief of... S- no. The Chief of Staff of Vice President Cheney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was technically involved in the leak, I guess. He's like the higher up that maybe yeah, chain of command, like figuring out like or trying to figure out who was going to divulge that information to the appropriate source. Yes, because he's the one that really got accused in all this. The only one, right? And he just got pardoned. No one's but actually... When did it, okay, so his federal trial started on 2007. In 2007, excuse me. Uh-huh. Convicted on four counts in March of 2007. So this is just 11 and a half years after the fact. Oh, you mean that he got pardoned? Yeah. Yeah, by, by President Trump. Yeah. Yeah, he got pardoned. But I, why would they... I mean, the livelihood, the safety of the government's own operatives was put on the line. He was as indicted a no. for perjury. Two In, counts of perjury. He was indicted for that? Obstruction of justice, making false statements to federal investigators. Um, but there was no count for disclosing classified information, like basically her status as a CIA operative. And he was convicted of all these things. And then he was acquitted on making on one count of making false statements. So his sentences included a $250,000 fine and then 30 months in prison, two years of probation. And then in 2007, President George W. Bush commuted his sentence and he um, removed the jail term but left in place the fine and probation, which is like... What was the probation again? Uh... It was, um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. Oh, two years. Two years of probation. I just said that. Yeah. Wait, so and, by and the now fine of $250,000. By now he served everything. Yeah, but they, he took away his jail time. I know, but he called the sentence, like, he called it excessive. I don't think that's excessive. That's the safety. Wait, and I think the other thing is that 
um, wasn't it that, that Val and Valerie and, um, Joseph, they have, they have a family. Like it's not just, yeah, they have twins. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they have kids. It's amazing because the safety of the family is at stake here. I mean, divulgence of, as we just talked about, um, you know, undercover agents for these government agencies, like, yeah. There's a lot more at stake. There are all these channels and networks and things like that. And I mean, God, I think about like stupid Facebook and like LinkedIn and other shit like that. But it's like uh-huh. your network is so huge now. It's true. That like where where is the line drawn? Like granted that was again 11 years ago or but I'm sorry, 15 years ago when this happened. Yep. So that was before like the age of all of that. But it's still it's crazy. shocking that that... That there would be so much, and you're you're like out without any protection. You're just kind of doing your right. thing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about so, that. So I feel like that's like, it, it, um, count. It's like a a counter argument to what I would have expected. I would have expected that the actual government uh, employees would have more protection. Yep, I would agree. Loose lips, so ships. she actually responded to President Trump's pardon, um, just recently. What'd so, she say? Yeah, this was in April of 2018. So, like we said, he was convicted in 2007, and then he was pardoned. Pardoned, third pardon of his administration to Lewis, and I guess his name is his. Scooter. Scooter. Name is Scooter. Libby, I think of I think of who Muppets. was the chiefest <laughs> Scooter. Scooter so and Skeeter. That's so true, right? Uh, and this and he. <laughs> it's so true. I do remember that. Um, and again, he was the chief of staff to Vice President Dick Cheney. So they, she was asked how she felt about the pardon, and she said. Uh, it's not about me. It's definitely about Scooter Libby, and I think it's all about Trump and his future. He's trying to set up a firewall and demonstrate that you can spill the beans and cooperate with the special prosecutor. Perhaps be convicted if you're convicted of lying, perjury, obstruction of justice, or otherwise, and you will still get a part in the end. So it doesn't really matter what I feel about it. That's what I think is happening. Oh. That's kind of Um, interesting, though. I mean, what would the true benefit be? So, she they ask her, "Do you think this has any connection to anything other than the president's current political difficulties?" And she says, "I think it has nothing to do with justice per se. Um, In fact, you don't have to take my word for it. Take President George W. Bush's word for it, who respected the jury's verdict in Scooter Libby's case, reviewed the facts of the case." Uh, he was under tremendous pressure from Dick Cheney to provide a pardon, but he didn't. So now we're in Donald Trump's pardon, and this isn't a coincidence. She says, you have to wonder, doesn't Donald Trump have better things to do? <laughs> like, and then she uses the example that he was just preparing strikes for Syria. One of my, one of my friends always has, she makes this statement, uh, I used to work with her but she she always says but what's the real why Uh there has to be like some underlying reason like why this would happen you know the timing of it sort of the what this implies um 
you know, moving forward. And you said Valerie, you know, made a statement about, you know, what this might sort of illustrate moving forward. But, okay, I'm going to play a devil's advocate for a second. Uh Uh-huh. Do you ever think that the pardoning could, maybe it will encourage others to sort of do more vocal things, thinking that they're going to be immune and get, like, pardoned okay, in the future? Okay, so I will say this. You, this is very interesting for response to this question. Okay? Yeah. So, NPR asks her, um, let me understand something for historical record. It was not Louis Libby who leaked your name, was it? That was Richard Armitage, Deputy Secretary of State, who was never prosecuted, which was your point. Okay? Right. And she says, that's not true. In fact, there was quite a few people that were involved. Um, there was a senior White House Bush officials that were involved in the leak. As, as you will well recall, it was payback for my husband, former Ambassador Joe mm-hmm. Wilson, who had written a piece going after the central narrative that the Bush White House gave the war of choice in Iraq. So he said the intelligence had been cherry-picked that was used to sell the war to the American people, and the Bush White House didn't take that well to, um, and as payback, betrayed my covert CIA identity. So it was just, I mean, we can get down into the weeds, but not for this time right now. This is her speaking. Uh No, there was quite a few people involved in the leak of my identity. So basically... He goes, so to put a, he asks her, so to put a cap on it, you don't believe this pardon has anything to do with Scooter Libby. And she says, no, not really. It's about sending a message about those who commit crimes against national security that he feels free to pardon them. He's got a very small but a very important audience to my mind. So, yeah. I'm curious what the messaging is here. I'm curious if uh, She makes it very clear that she thinks that this was all due to her husband basically voicing his opinion, or maybe it was sure. more than an opinion, that there wasn't any grounds to go and look for aluminum or uranium, uranium. or whatever, uranium, mm-hmm. whatever they're looking for. And that basically this was just... They were just creating issues to, to, to basically have a reason to go to war with Iraq, which we all know now that that was that there was no nuclear weapons found. So, I mean, that's I think what she's basically saying. And that they were pissed off and that they then that they called the bluff, that he called the bluff but that's still, the retribution thing it's such an mm-hmm. that is, that's like child's play. <laughs> It's a little crazy. I mean, I can't say that I would fault George W. Bush for no, for being like, no, nah, I'm not going to fucking pardon this guy. Good for him. But again, I still am curious. Like, true, there are multiple people here, you know, who are responsible for what transpired. Yeah. I mean, again, thinking about the chain of command for which this had to go through in order to be divulged to the news sources. But so I think that this to me just sort of chalks up to, you know, the the danger that you are in once you take on one of these positions. Oh, yeah. And so it's one of those things where I feel like your future is never really certain. Not to say that, every, that any job, your future is really certain because let's be honest, I mean... 
Listen, they could find you useful one day and that you were... Anybody can do that. Yeah, exactly. Ass the other day. And, then- and that goes from, like, working, like, at, like, you know, a retail store to, like, working at a school to working at a government. Yeah, but they you can know. ruin your life. The government can, yeah. Yeah. And I think... Well, I think that in all senses, like, you know, the decision to sort of lash out an employee can actually have serious impacts regardless of what, who you work for and what you True. do. But, you know, when we talk about secret identities, it is really amazing. And I'm, I'm actually a little curious and I'm not sure. I mean, we didn't find this for today, but I would be very curious as to what her, you know, security was like after the fact, like after this situation, oh, yeah. I know. because especially and if she had a family, and her kids. right. The danger that yeah. would then this, this situation then opened them up to, um, you know, it's not like she's been quiet about it. She wrote right. a book about it. So I actually have added this to my list of books to read this year. So we'll see if I can get my hands on it. Yeah. But, um, you know, your question before, way earlier in the episode, like, essentially, like, would you want to be, like, a secret spy? Like, yeah. secret op? I still am kind of like, no. Well, there's yeah, after so reading uncertain- this, you're well, like, Well, there's so much that. uncertainty. And it's like, I feel like there would be, you'd have to limit your life to some extent because you have to live within the confines but how of real these do expectations. You think, how real do you think this is? Like, there's shows on this, right? Yeah. And actually, there was another, uh, so there are shows, there are movies, like, based on sort of these secret operatives and secret officers. Like and, The Americans, isn't that one in a recent series? The recent series, yeah. But that was actually based off of this... Um, this other, um, CA operative, her name is Martha Peterson. She's from Kansas city, Missouri. Okay. And she, um, was actually apprehended and found to be, uh, So was it, is it based on a real story? The, apparently the, um, and I, I admittedly have never seen the Americans. Okay. But I've heard so many times that it's a great show, but Carrie Russell's character is a apparently based off of this Martha Peterson. And she, too, has written a book. Okay. Um, But talking a little bit about the undercover stuff, um, you know, this woman back in the Cold War, like, used to wear a wire. uh, And they actually arrested her and found it immediately. And then it's funny. It's a little funny. Because I saw some pictures from this in, like, the 70s. And this guy who is the U.S. counsel, like, shows up to this meeting. Apparently, you know... I don't want to say deposition, but, uh, uh-huh. you know, her trial, uh, whatever. And he's sitting there next to her and he's wearing two watches. Really? And apparently on this website, I think it's called like cryptography.com or something. Oh, that's what we were just talking about. And yeah. they say that one of his watches was in fact the a microphone. Oh. And it was recording shit or transmitting it to somebody else who was receiving it. And so, I, again, I think this is very interesting because I... I have my Apple Watch right here. And, you know, it's like... It's recording us. It, not that we're not recording ourselves. It but. probably is. Um, I My phone just FaceTimed one of our friends the other night at like 1130, sitting in its charger. Yeah. I'm sure there was something. I was like, what the, what the, what the fuck? But at any rate, I still don't know that I would ever opt to be a CIA employee, <sighs> undercover cop, undercover I need cop. to know what the perks are. What, what are they my got benefits? real good benefits? Do good they have compensation good benefits? packages. What are my benefits? 
What's vacation time like? Yes, exactly. I need to know these things. All and the then deets. we can make a educated decision. All the deets. <laughs> we need to have educated decisions. But I think, you know, I am going to go out and say, you know, I commend Valerie for sort of like standing up for this. I, again, very intrigued to read her book and read a little bit more about the situation. Do you think like your neighbor could be a spy and you wouldn't know it? None of my neighbors. I mean, like, I live in a pretty typical, like, neighborhood. Could I... I could probably have a neighbor that's a spy and not know it. I suppose that's true. I hope so. You could. I hope there is one. <laughs> you gonna go hunt him down at your black party, Sarah? I, I, yeah. I hope there is one, because then that means I probably will be safer. Maybe. Or maybe yeah. they'll come in and... What's it called? Sneak and peek? Wasn't there... Oh, sneak and creep? What sneak is it? Sneak and peek. Okay. Sneaky creep. Sneak and creep. <laughs> okay, now we're getting into some creepy shit. It's so fucking... <laughs> Honestly, I just finished reading what a book about What was that movie where, like, the spies, like, go to the neighbor's house? It's like this married couple. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. What? Yeah, it's a really good movie. What's the name of it? Oh, I don't remember. We need, but to, we need yeah. to add this to our movies we to will. watch list. We will. The Americans should actually be on there. I'm gonna. It's not a movie, but I'm still gonna add that. And then Bridge of Spies is apparently based on many true. I never saw this Steven Spielberg, but it's based on many very true accounts it's of a movie? the Cold War. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the Cold War had shitloads of stories. Yeah, and they. One other thing that I saw is that like an article that I read was saying that sure, there's like a bunch of technology shit that's like, you know, all these advances and stuff like right. that. Right. But there are still, um, what's it called, tactics that are used, that came about for the Cold War that are still used present day. I'm sure. It hasn't, like, the technology has not completely replaced or adapted, um, you know, secret co-op missions. Well, if it's not break. If it ain't break. If it ain't broke. broke, Don't fix it, right? Right. Right. But, I mean, I would think that they probably should be, like, I don't know, flying through time at this point. Maybe. Given what we can do. Maybe they are. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they okay, are. Okay, on that note. On that note. Secret um, identity. Good wine. I enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I know nothing about the CIA. I think that our secret identities are podcasters called yeah. the Drunk Bitches Podcast. DBP is our secret identity. Our day jobs don't necessarily know about it. Exactly. But maybe they do. Maybe they do. I don't know. Anyway, to all our listeners, cheers. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for cheers. joining us. Go find your secret identity. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.